Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to late 30am. Good morning everyone and welcome to 3CR Breakfast. Today is Tuesday the 21st of March 2023 7am. My name is Fong and I've got Ivka with me in the studio this morning. Good morning, Ivka. Good morning. I should also note that Genevieve will be joining us as well on today's show a bit later. How are you, Ivka? I'm good. I I cycled into the studio this morning oh, wow. as, I, as I often do and it's always lovely but the coldness is definitely starting to settle in and this morning was the first time I felt like pulling my gloves out again wow I feel like that's a big sign big sign it's getting darker a few weeks ago months ago it was light on my way in and now it is it is dark (laughs) and so I can I can feel it coming so that's that's not as exciting but other than that very good no um it always feels so good to cycle in I recently got new bike lights exciting that that legitimately exciting I kept putting it off and so every time I think like oh I could ride like no I can't Mm -hmm. safety first so I'm very excited they're rechargeable ones we love yeah exactly (laughs) so that should be good um I do want to say that on the um on Friday evening I went to see my friend sing as part of a choir at the Footscray Hotel so shout out to the Footscray Hotel Choir (laughs) They were really great. Um, They sang beautiful um, Georgian, Italian and Italian songs. And, um, yeah, there's just something so beautiful about, A, like live music, but, Mm -hmm. you know, in a small venue and just harmony, choir harmonies. um, I love a choir. Yeah. They give me chills. I... Yeah, a band at Meredith last year had a choir on stage and I was very lucky a friend put me on his shoulders because I was getting very, very, very excited about the fact that there was a choir. Yeah, I mean, I I think maybe, um, yeah, we should, if anyone is from a choir, wants to talk about. <laughs> oh, yeah, the experience. Yeah. It must be magical yeah, to sing talk, in one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, please get in touch with us. <laughs> we'd love to. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Okay, so let's talk about what we've got on the show today. Today is a huge, huge day. So um, I'll talk about this more during news headlines, but today is World Social Work Day. And the theme for this year is respecting diversity through joint social action. So we'll be speaking with um, a lineup of amazing um, people who are social workers, who have studied social work, um, who are in the field, and they'll be talking about 
uh, their experience working um, as social workers and and their reflections on World Social Work Day uh, this year. So up first, we'll be speaking with Madeline McKenzie, um, who is a mental health social worker. Um, and then at 7.45, we'll be talking with uh, Kaylin McDonoghue and Shelley Turner. Kaylin is, uh, has a background in sports social work and Kaylin is, oh sorry, Shelley is the chief social worker at Forensic Care. And then at eight o'clock, we'll be speaking with Julie Green, who's a um, who's a social worker who's just finished um, their course. So it'll be interesting to see where they're at with their journey with social work. And then finally, uh, we'll be speaking with Professor Louise Harms, who's an associate professor, director, and head of social work at the University of Melbourne. And uh, yeah, we'll be speaking uh, with her about what the future of social work might look like. So as well as being World Social Work Day, today is also International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. Um, And if you've never heard of those terms here in Australia, maybe it's because we call it Harmony Harmony Day here, Mm. which I'll get into in a second. Uh, But to explore this day, we'll be speaking with Hannah Yared, who we've had on the show before. Um, and she'll be speaking to us about having the importance of having frank conversations about race and racism with with young people. Um, so yeah, well, we may as well just dive straight into our news headlines. <laughs> the first thing I wanted to mention today was what happened over the weekend here in Nam, Melbourne, um, and that was the um, horrific scenes in in the CBD where. Um, you know, Nazi groups uh, great were gate gate crashed an anti trans rally and and um, and yeah, but there was a, a counter rally from anti um, uh, from anti fascist pro trans groups, which was incredible to see. Um, but they were met with you know a lot of violent police pushback, um, and of course. Uh, those photos which people saw of um, of Nazi salutes and awful violent um, rhetoric uh, if if anyone um, would like to listen to reflections about that queering the air um, published an episode over the weekend uh, Jacob spoke with uh, queer and trans activists and convener of the queer universe uh, unionists in um, tertiary education Amy Sargent uh, as well as trans musician Eddie Phillips so they spoke about what happened uh, outside Victorian Parliament House on over the weekend so please check out that latest episode of Queering the Air. In other news the latest IPCC report was released um, yesterday And uh, so in this report, scientists have delivered what they call a final warning on climate crisis as rising greenhouse gas emissions um, push the world to the brink of of damage uh, and only swift and drastic action can avert. Um, So if that's something that you'd like to read about, uh, please check the IPCC report. website you can go to ipcc.ch and um, that's where you'll find the uh, sixth assessment report that was released on Monday 
As I said earlier, today is the World Social Work Day. Uh, the theme for this year is respecting di- diversity through joint social action. Um, and it stems from the People's Charter for a New Eco-Social World and recognises that change happens locally through diverse uh, leaderful communities. So World Social Work Day uh, aims to provide an opportunity to acknowledge how communities can make powerful actions that lead to inclusive social transformation. Um, so Stay tuned for the rest of the show. We'll be speaking to a range of social workers and professionals in the field. Um, and if you'd like to follow what's happening with World Social Work Day online, you can follow the hashtag WSWD2023. Finally, I just wanted to talk about another day that's happening today. That's the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. Um, and so this day was first observed uh, back in um, 1979 and that was to commemorate um, the day that the police in Sharpville, South uh, Africa opened fire and killed 69 people at a peaceful demonstration against apartheid laws um, in 1960. And so this is universally celebrated or observed Um, the International Day for Elimination of Racial Discrimination. In Australia, however, uh, things are a bit different. So um, here we observe Harmony Day. It was introduced by um, the conservative liberal opposition in the 1990s um, as what they call an educational campaign um, and an alternative to the Labor government's bid to criminalise hate speech. So from that on, from that year onwards, um, yeah, it's been called Harmony Day here in Australia, which, um, yeah, I don't know about you, Ivka, but for me it tends to dilute a lot of the, mm-hmm. the real issues that we want to talk about concerning ongoing effects of um, colonisation, um, racism and the violence that, that comes with it so yeah Mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to speaking with uh, hannah yarrod more about that at 7 30 okay we are going to go to a quick break and we'll be back with a song right after this sitting here in a lonely Melbourne Jazz Jammers present the third Newport Jazz Festival. 50 bands, multiple venues and three days of great music from some of Melbourne's finest musicians, the 21st to the 23rd of April. Trad, swing, blues, big band, Latin, bossa, bebop and beyond. Get your tickets at the Newport Bowls Club box office, Market Street, Newport or online at melbournejazzjammers.com.au. Let's get the party started at the friendliest festival in the West, Newport Jazz Festival, a 3CR supporter. Next up, we're going to play a track for you. This morning we'll kick off with Maxine's Garden by Supertart. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
3CR Community Radio, 855am. You're listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast here at 855am or maybe you're streaming online at 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. We just heard the song Maxine's Garden by punk band Supertart. Madeline McKenzie is an accredited mental health social worker who runs her own counselling business for women called Sit With Self. She also helps not-for-profits to set up mental health programs and provides training on trauma and well-being to community organisations. Madeline has described herself as a newish mum with a 14-month-old baby and loves to connect with nature and music in her free time. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Madeline. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Firstly, could you tell us what you're reflecting on this World Social Work Day? Yeah, I guess I always use World Social Work Day just to, to reflect on the fact that a lot of the time social workers have this this amazing role in the community that that isn't often acknowledged. Um, so I think it's just such a good opportunity to really just, yeah, take a moment to pause and think about all of the amazing work that's going on in all of the different sectors. Um, and, you know, there's just so many different social workers with different backgrounds and specialties. So, yeah, I think it's just a great opportunity to really reflect and, and acknowledge some of the hard work that gets is so unheard and unseen sometimes. Definitely. Could you maybe talk a bit more about the type of work that social workers do. I know that, like you said, social workers have experience in many different fields, but um, are there any commonalities in terms of the type of work that they do? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the thing about social work is that, yeah, you, you kind of finish your degree and then you can go into any different sector. So, you know, the social workers working in family violence, in homelessness, in mental health, um, you know, in aged care, like there's so many different, so varied and the roles can be so different. But I think the thread that kind of connects us all is the fact that we we all have this understanding of of that, you know, we don't just focus on the individual, we focus on the fact that the individual, you know, is living in a family, which is living in a community, which is living in systems that um, can sometimes, you know, help us and sometimes harm us. So I think it's just having that that real, like, wider lens of, of how humans fit into the, to the bigger world. Yeah, so you're saying that um, it's very much relational. Um, mm. So the relationship between, like you said, the inv- individual and their immediate environment, perhaps their family um, or their mm. friends, but uh, what you touched on there, the, their relationship with the system, which I think mm. is really important because... Yeah, in in so many cases, the system is working very much against them. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And I think you know, there's, there's you can work on 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 things on yourself individually, but you're, you know, if you're homeless, there's only so much you can do and um, to work on yourself and to you know to improve your situation. So I think social work. It's uh, that's one thing I love about the profession is that it really takes into account those external factors that might be maintaining you know our own personal struggles. Yeah. Um, On the news we've seen recently with the rise of um, the cost of living and everything Mm -hmm. else that we've seen, uh, really high rates of um, people not being able to find stable 
long-term housing. Here on Tuesday Breakfast, we've talked a lot before about homelessness among women uh, Mm because it's really um, prominent there. Uh, So you've had experience working in youth homelessness as well as the mental health sector. Could you tell us more about your experience in these areas? Yeah, definitely, yeah. So before I went on maternity leave, I was working as a mental health clinician in a youth homelessness service. Um, and, yeah, it was... Yeah, it's it's just harrowing, you know, the, the difficulties that these young people have to go through, you know, while they're so young. And and you're, it's just there's nothing available. There's nothing available, you know, um, for, for young people with really low incomes or, you know, that are on Centrelink to, to be able to afford stable housing and um, yeah it, it was a challenging role for me in terms of trying to work on someone's mental health because yeah you felt like you could get, get to a point but of course you know it's it's really hard to improve someone's relationship with their thoughts and memories when they're when they're so stressed because they can't um, they, they're not sure where they're going to be staying staying um, yeah that yeah. night so it's, it's incredibly yeah incredibly challenging sector but there yeah some amazing organizations doing some brilliant work there yeah, it's it's tough. It's that tension between the immediate uh, immediate risks and dangers and trying mm-hmm. to balance that with perhaps more long-term um, gradual work like mm-hmm. mental health, mental health exactly. work. Yeah. Exactly, because you don't want to deprive someone of that support just because they don't have housing, but at the same time it is this, yeah, this balance around whether someone's ready to kind of work on those longer-term things. Yeah. You, um, obviously, you know, for social workers, uh, I don't know if you've seen this yourself, but I've been reading that, you know, there, it is, it can be quite tough and, and can lead to things like burnout and other things. How do you ensure that, uh, that you, uh, I guess don't, don't suffer from burnout. I, I think that's mm-hmm. something, you know, in a, in a role like social worker, um, mm-hmm. you give so much perhaps um, when you take on a lot. So what are some things that you do to ensure that um, you still have enough for yourself? Mm, that's such a beautiful question because I think it is, it is, you know, burnout in the in social workers, it, it, it is a real, really big problem because you have a lot of social workers kind of leaving roles, you know, before their time because they just they don't have anything left. And I think, for me, what I found, and and this might be a bit of a generalisation, but a lot of the time people go into the social work profession because they have this real drive, you know, to help community and support community. And with that might come a little bit of a tendency to kind of self-sacrifice. So to put your needs, you know, at the the bottom of the barrel and and put everyone ahead of yourself. So I think one thing that helps me and I think this can help a lot of social workers is just having an awareness of the fact that you do have that tendency to self-sacrifice and and to just really notice that and and kind of really focus on um, putting your energy into the things you can control and and letting go of the things that that you really can't. And I think when you're working with humans, you know, you can give them the support and the opportunities and the, you know, and, and book them into classes and, and you can do all these things, but you still have to leave room for that human being to take another step themselves, you know, towards that. So you can set up everything, but, um, you know, it's out of your control whether someone actually takes up those opportunities or, or you know, walks in the direction that you're supporting them to walk in. So um, I think trying to let go of that and, and um, just have an awareness of that can really help with burnout. Yeah, that's a really important reflection there. I was wondering if you could talk to us about the relationship between women and social work, uh, whether 
<clears throat> there are any t challenges or, or tensions within the social workspace. We know that uh, women tend to dominate this profession, but um, were there any things that you have noted uh, throughout your time as a social worker? Yeah, that's a really interesting question as well. Because um, I do think, you know, outside of World Social Work Day, it, social work, it doesn't get a lot of acknowledgement. And I think that the fact that it, does, it is kind of a caring role. It is that kind of feminine role, although there is a lot of beautiful men working in the field as well. Um, so I, I do feel like sometimes I feel like it just doesn't get the the um, the acknowledgement that it kind of deserves. But I think the other side of that is, I think another tension that, that is really hard to hold sometimes as a woman is, is the fact that a lot of the funding that social work programs get comes from government and comes from, you know, the patriarchy. So you can be kind of trying to navigate working in these systems that um, maybe have values or, or are working in a way that, that is, is, you know, might be really challenging for you or might be not aligning with... Um, yeah, with your feminist values and what you think that um, how, you know, what, how the best way to kind of help and empower a person might be. So I guess there's just a bit of a tension there. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, that's really great to note that funding is important because it allows people and organisations to do a lot of the important work and, and care for uh, provide care and support for for their uh, clients and communities, but at the same time, yes, thinking about where that money comes from and perhaps uh, any um, expectations that come with that. Uh, yeah, I think that's really important to to really reflect on. Mm -hmm. My final question for you, Madeline, this morning is. Uh, this week during World Social Work Week, are there any particular discussions you think are worth highlighting when it comes to this type of work? Um, I think for me, you know, because my focus is really mental health and, um, and but one thing that I, I'm kind of working on at the moment that I think is really important is, is you know, I'm setting up a recovery club for, for people with borderline personality disorder um, and part of that recovery club which is, you know, it's peer support and helping people um, to learn new skills but also to develop that community to support each other in their recovery through serious mental illness. Um, but one thing, the, the whole process of that that I'm really trying um, to embody is, is collaboration. So collaboration and actually listening to people with lived experience on what's helpful for them, what's not helpful, you know, listening to their stories of resilience and taking parts of that, you know, to help other people. So, I don't know, a takeaway message for me, for all social workers out there, is um, just to deeply, deeply listen to the people who you're working with. You know, don't make assumptions around what, um, you know, what they might be experiencing or not experiencing, you know, based on generalisations, just deeply, deeply listen and collaborate, you know, um, with the people you work with because when we collaborate magic happens you know you can develop these programs that are grassroots you know that are really listening to the needs of of you know the clients you're working with and and um can yeah can just be so empowering and for, for everyone involved so that's just something that's been on my mind lately that I'm, I'm thinking about this social work day yeah thank you so much for that madeline i think that's really important to to consider when you're working in any sort of space where you're working with other people is to is to listen to them and and know that their lived experience is very real and very valuable and can and can add a lot to whatever you're trying to create with them.
Thank you so much for your time this morning, Madeline. It's been a pleasure to speak with you about your experience with social work and, and what, what you're reflecting on today. So thanks again for joining us here on 3CR Breakfast. Oh, no worries. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That was Madeline McKenzie uh, speaking to us about her experience as a mental health social worker. Um, this is part of our special today on World Social Work Day. We are going to go straight into a song for you now. Uh, this is by uh, one of our favourite bands, Camp Cope. This is their song, Running With The Hurricane. I can't get off this hole I've found I've seen it right It's not going out She talks me Playing in the background there was the song Running with the Hurricane by Camp Cope. Hannah Yared is a psychologist, PhD candidate at Monash University and a lecturer at Swinburne University. 
Her research examines issues related to race and racism in the fields of education and psychology, and her PhD research explored these issues from the perspectives of Australian school students. Hannah joins us on the show today to speak with us about the implications of diluting conversations about race and racism in schools, especially within the context of so-called Harmony Day here in Australia. Welcome to 3CR, Hannah. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, last time we had you on the show, which was in 2021, um, you spoke to us about some of your research. I was wondering if you could just remind listeners more about that. Yeah, sure. Um, so um, broadly, my research explores uh, issues of, of race and, and racism in schools, uh, especially uh, or more specifically focusing on uh, racial literacy, so students' racial literacy and their sort of understandings and experiences of, of race and racism, um, and also how these elements connect with their uh, racial identity and their and their sense of school belonging as well, uh, and, and their perspectives on, on what we can do um, to move forward. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about that just the other day because today is universally known as the International Day for the Elimination of Racial, racial Discrimination. But as I said on air earlier, um, in Australia in the 90s, it was changed to Harmony Day. Um, what are your reflections on on that decision to, to name it Harmony Day and how would that impact students' understanding of, of race and racism um, based on, you know, the, the types of celebrations now that they would be having at school for this day? Yeah, um, so, yeah, the decision to, um, to, to, to rename the day and, and focus on Harmony Day um, really is, um, I guess, a, a purposeful attempt to centre, um, you know, social cohesion um, and really stifle conversations, really important conversations about race and racism um, and sort of cast doubt on, on the seriousness of racism, uh, both in the community and in, in society and also within um, school contexts. And it really um, whitewashes and, and erases the historical and present day realities of racism, um, especially for, for children and young people. We know that um, they experience racism in, in every facet of their lives on every level from interpersonal levels to systemic levels um, and, and that includes uh, both outside of school but also inside um, school as well um, and so when we focused on things like Harmony Day which might appear really nice um, you know in theory it actually erases um, students experiences of, of racism um, and um, that doesn't allow them the space to process some of these experiences or some of what they're seeing and experiencing in the world. Um, and if they don't experience racism, it doesn't give them um, the opportunity to develop those racial literacy skills to actually be able to have certain conversations and to be able to, to combat those things um, either. And so essentially um, it's it, it really just erases um, our ability to actually be able to combat those issues um, and to help children be able to develop um, their racial literacy skills. Yeah, from your research, what can you tell us about what children and young people already know about about 
race and racism. You said before that for many students, they have already experienced that, whether that's in or outside of school. Um, so when they are faced with something like Harmony Day, what can you tell us about perhaps, you know, something that's happening for, for young people where they see this so-called mm-hmm. celebration of cohesion, um, the tension between that and what they know to be their experience with with um, racism, like you said, on an interpersonal level or on an institutional level? Yeah, so, I mean, we can take, I guess, what happened over the weekend. We, we saw, um, you know, Nazis, um, you know, gathering on the steps of Parliament in, in Melbourne. And many young people um, will have seen that either, you know, often on social media or through the media. Uh, many of them will have um, experiences themselves, like you said, of, of, of racism. And then they're coming to school and being told that, um, you know, everybody's equal and that, um, that, you know, there's all these nice things happening and it's just completely in contrast to what's actually, what they can see happening and what they're often experiencing. Uh, and this can often downplay and invalidate their experiences of race and racism uh, and make them almost second guess it and, and gaslight them into thinking that perhaps those things aren't that much of a big deal. Um, and it also um, means that we're just, it renders us, I guess, completely unable to, to address those issues, uh, both in society but also in schools, because if we're not actually directly having those conversations and we're not acknowledging that it's occurring, then it means that we're actually completely unable to, to do anything about something that we're almost claiming not to be able to see. And I think that... I guess one of the things is that these are not accidental attempts to do this. Um, you know, all of these systems are built purposefully um, and, you know, Harmony Day and, and, and things like that uh, are developed as a way to, um, you know, I guess c- continue to uphold those systems as well, to, to avoid talking about it but to seemingly show us that we're doing something about it but we're actually not going to address the underlying issues that are going on. Yeah, I think that was that's something that's so important to address and and to point out. I like what you said before about it, almost that gaslighting of um, on a on a mass level, um, trying to tell us that there's there's nothing wrong, um, yeah. and and instead that there's something you know we should be focusing on the positives and things like that. But we know that for so many people, for, for most of us really, um, we face some sort of uh, oppression either on an interpersonal level or from the state itself. Um, you alluded to this just before in your answer, but I wondered if you could talk more about what is actually needed to dismantle these systems of oppression instead of using, you know, hollow symbols or, or um, token uh, days of celebration. Yeah, I mean, it's a big, big question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess what I will say firstly, and, and I want to be mindful not to conflate the need for sort of changes in it, the education system to necessarily a lack of education being the reason that racism exists. I think, um, like I mentioned before, we need to understand that these systems of oppression are purposely built, and that includes the education system. Um, and so, you know, really understanding that it, it it requires then a, a purposeful um, approach to pushing back on on these issues, um, and you know, 
actually beginning to be able to acknowledge and recognise that these issues do exist and to have honest and open conversations about those, including with young people. Um, we know from their lived experiences um, that, you know, they tell us time and time again they're experiencing racism and they want to talk about it. And if they're old enough to experience it, and they're, then they're old enough to talk about it and they're old enough to be part of the solutions that are directly impacting them. Um, and I think moving away from um, centering whiteness, essentially, which is which is what um, celebrations like Harmony Day really do, they center the center the comfort of white people. Um, and so, decentering that and really centering the voices of marginalised students, especially uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students, and having conversations that are centred around um, truth telling and, and being able to develop. Uh, anti-racism policies and, and practices that are um, that are actually directly um, combating those issues. I think that was a really great answer for a question that was very broad <laughs> and, and quite yeah. complex. So thank you so much for that, Hannah. I think, yes, it's incredibly important to remember, like you said, these systems are purposely built. And in a way, I think if we are aware that these are purposely built, like you said, we can... Uh, work really hard to dismantle them uh, and I think it, it also empowers people and communities to dismantle them. I think sometimes when we say like, oh, it's, you know, totally random or we don't know why this is happening, um, mm. it can feel like we don't have the power to do anything about it but yeah. that's not true. We know why these things are happening. They, they were made to happen. So, um, yeah, I think what you said in terms of how we can start to, um, I guess, take apart these systems, um, yeah, is really important. My final question for you, Hannah, this morning is uh, to talk more about the power of students' lived experiences and how schools and other places can harness that to have honest and fruitful conversations about race and racism. I think more often than not, students and young people are dismissed especially when they are faced with something like racism so how can we actually reframe that and use that as a really um as a tool to to help um yeah dismantle oppression yeah i think often we really underestimate young people's capacity um and we're often making decisions um, you know, on behalf of them or for them without actually really listening um, to them and, and what they have to offer. Um, and, you know, the, the reality is that we really need to start considering not only their lives at school, but their lives outside of school, um, you, you know, in the same way that many of them will have seen what happens play out on the, over the weekend. Um, it was the same during things like, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement. Many children watched the video, for example, of, of George Floyd and and really recognising how pervasive racism is in their lives um, and being able to to acknowledge that and, and, and hear their concerns um, and really be able to, to take on board what they're saying. Many students talk about um, feeling tokenised by things like Harmony Day, but schools continue to do it because we think it's this really nice celebration of things, but students are actually telling us this isn't actually helpful, it's not helping me. Um, and they're actually still seeking that information out elsewhere. Uh, and I think recognising not only students' capability to be able to engage in these discussions and learn about these issues, but also their desire to do that. They're, they're going to be doing that with or without 
schools and, and adults help and ideally we would be able to, to help them navigate these really complex issues, um, you know, together rather than allowing them to sort of go off and do it themselves. So really understanding, um, I think, that element, especially in terms of their capacity and, and incorporating that into, into what we're doing in schools. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for joining us today on in the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination and talking to us about students' experiences with race and racism and what we can actually do to ensure that they are heard and that we use that experience to um, yeah, dismantle systems of oppression and, um, and make sure that we're having truthful conversations about race in this country. Um, yeah, hopefully we get to chat to you again about this in the future. Thanks, Hannah. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. That was uh, Hannah Yarid, um, PhD candidate at Monash University and lecturer at Swinburne University, talking to us about the dangers of, of using um, diluted terms like Harmony Day uh, when speaking about race and racism uh, to children here in so-called Australia. We'll be back with a song right after this message. In 2003, the American peace activist Rachel Corey was killed for opposing the demolition of Palestinian homes in the Gaza Strip. Join Free Palestine Melbourne and Students for Palestine Victoria for a public screening of Rachel, a film about her murder and its subsequent cover-up. Come and support the struggle for a free Palestine, Thursday the 23rd of March, 6.30pm at the Old Arts Lecture Theatre, University of Melbourne. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Have you had your fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose? The Murdoch Children's Research Institute at the Royal Children's Hospital are recruiting participants aged 18 years or older to receive a randomized fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose, either Moderna bivalent or Novavax vaccine, or be part of a control group and receive no additional vaccine. You will be compensated for your time and transport and will receive your antibody test results. For more information, contact covid.booster at mcri.edu.au. The Murdoch Children's Research Institute is a 3CR supporter. Next up, we're going to play you a song. This one is Tilly Bobo by Sampa the Great.
feeling low, I feeling lesser. But I never give under the pressure. Feel it, feel it, no time, my time. Gotta get a hit, and when I shine, you shine. You gonna do it then, even then. Any challenge calling out my name, it don't rename. When I progress, I maintain. Not to show any for one, not to get a little son up. And be I'm fun, I'm bitchin', I'm bitchin'. Yes, wanna feeling low, I feeling less. Know that when you look in here, you looking at the best. Grace, I must speak, I confess. Honey, I was only humble from the stress. Are you talking to me? You say, you say, I know that I'm blessed. They say, who they? I don't hear the rest. The most high, the main source, God bless. I be singing in the streets, on the chorus with my chest. Sing it. Ba, 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 ba. Eju, Kalila, get down. Shai, Taking over your radio station. You see, you see, put your song over tea like tea. We are fine, we are good indeed. I'm feeling like a butter. I'm just cutting. Tell him up. Hey. Dear, 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 dear. That was Tilly Bobo by Sampa the Great. Next up, we'll be chatting to two academics of social work in different fields, continuing our celebration and recognition of World Social Work Day. Dr. Kaylin McDonoghue, MSW, Fulbright Future Scholar and Visiting Scholar at the University of Melbourne. Kaylin's background is in sports social work and has run sports programs with young people in the youth justice system in the US. We'll also be joined by Dr. Shelley Turner, the Chief Social Worker at Forensic Care, the statewide provider for forensic mental health in Victoria. She's also adjunct senior lecturer in social work at Monash University and adjunct research fellow at the Swinburne University's Centre for Forensic Behavioural Science. Welcome to the show, Kaylin and Shelley. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Um, last week, we spoke with Jen Davidson, a social worker who teaches in the Master of Social Work and conducts research at Melbourne Uni. Um, and she spoke a lot about the breadth and diversity within the social work field itself and how that it can be many different things to different people. So I was wondering, uh, Kaylin, if you can please explain what your particular field of social work entails. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, first off, happy World Social Work Day. And <laughs> thank you for having me. Um yeah, so I, I think this flows nicely from Dr. Davidson's comments. You know, most of my work has been in sports social work um, and as the coach of a sports team in the youth justice system. And I can kind of briefly give a, a picture of what that was. Um, but five years ago, um, and I should say I'm from the States. Uh, <laughs> you might be able to, to tell from my accent, but I'm from a very small state in Delaware. Um, and we helped to start a lacrosse team in a long-term secure juvenile correctional facility, which is the Ferris School for Boys. Um, and so really the, the sports program was about helping to address some of the challenges that young people were facing, both inside the facility and, and also outside the facility related to kind of um, 
gang affiliations. Um, you know, sadly, as you know, I'm sure you're aware, we have very high rates of, of gun violence in mm-hmm. the states, and and also specifically within our state. Um, and so, the sports program was meant to try to build some better relationships between our young men who are in the facility, um, between you know coaches and volunteers like myself, and and our players as well as the staff. Um, you know, link it in with with education, with um, physical and mental health, and then also working to support, you know, I specifically say young men because that's who we're working with, but young men when they're returning home to their communities. So absolutely, I think social work comes in so many different shapes and and sizes, and this World Social Work Day is really an opportunity to celebrate um, where social work is occurring, whether it be on the fields or the pitches or, or whether it's within legislative halls and hospitals and classrooms. Um, yeah, so it, it's a profession that I, I think we're all very passionate about. Mm, I do think it really does touch uh, every facet of life and community. Um, I'm glad you brought up the work you've done with the uh, in the sport system. Sorry, juvenile system. Um, so I would like to touch on that later, but just so um, we get an introduction for Shelley. Shelley, would you mind also explaining us uh, what social work looks like for you professionally? Yeah, thanks very much, Genevieve, and thanks for having me. Um, I uh, think for me, social work, the word breadth, I heard you use that before mm. as a descriptor, that's uh, very accurate. It is a very broad field. Um, that is one of the things that really appeals to me, but as it happens, I've sort of carved off a very somewhat relatively uh, narrow path in that in that I've worked for some 15 years in youth justice and uh, now in forensic social work um, settings um, at the moment in mental health uh, and for me really it's about recognising that diversity uh, if you like at the margins of society um, mm-hmm. and I think for some reason I've been attracted to work that I've heard described as dirty work really working in uh, settings where people don't want to go you know prisons youth justice um, centres and areas like that and actually it's it's a little bizarre that you've got Kaylin and I on together because we've had some contact recently around this area because we both have a mutual interest in uh, the connection between recreation and sport and youth justice and I actually began in this field uh, playing basketball on Friday nights when I worked a long time ago at the YMCA before it was just a recreation centre and it actually had a real sort of strong focus on youth work. Um, playing basketball at the old uh, Parksville facility uh, for, for young men um, mm. at the time and that really uh, piqued my interest in youth justice and made me want to work uh, more in that field. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. I, I love the synergy between your work. Um, that is really great. Um, Kaylin, would you be able to tell us a bit more about, I guess, the benefits you saw from integrating sport into social work and, um, yeah, what you think people can take away from that in other facets of their life? Sure. I, you know, I think so much of it is, is just about building some of these strong working relationships and, and building trust um, among different groups in, in society and across the world as well. Um, but I think for our sports program, it was working, um, yeah, to build the relationships with our, our players. Um, and I think just, you know, when I went into the facility, it was just seeing an incredible um, outcomes. It, it just it made me fall in love with the work, to be honest. And it's interesting <laughs> to hear Shelley say that as well. We 
Uh, she's one of the first people that I met before I, I came over. Um, but uh, to me, there, there's just no better experience than when you're working with a young person um, and you see their confidence just start to grow as they build these different skills and, and mm. just the way that they, they hold themselves um, and helping. I, I think, you know, I was reflecting on this call. I, I think one of the greatest things that we can do as social workers is, is to help people in identifying what their own inherent kind of strengths are and, and their unique abilities. And so mm-hmm. for many of the young men across um, the justice system that I worked with, it's often about telling them, um, you know, what's what's wrong with them or what they need to work mm-hmm. on instead of highlighting the real gift. Um, I just have always been struck by the young people that I've been fortunate to work with. And the sports program is is for us just that, that vehicle or that opportunity to make space to build those relationships. And it can come in many different forms, right? It can come in art. It can come in music. Um, for, for me and myself and my passion and the opportunity to connect with the kids, it came in, in sport. But, um, you know, in terms of, you know, we, we've had um, – it's challenging work. You know, at definitely, mm-hmm. as, as Shelley said, we've, we still have about an 80% recidivism rate in the state of Delaware. So, unfortunately, many of our young men are coming back. But we have had success stories. And um, I'll, I'll just briefly share, we had one young man who – is one semester away from graduating at the University of Delaware, which is a university about 15 minutes away from the facility that he graduated high school in. And, and I think that's uh, pretty powerful. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, Shelley, to further that, you spoke earlier about uh, it being called dirty work or potentially having, you know, it's it's really tough and um, I'm sure mentally quite straining. And so I was wondering what, what draws you into that and, and how do you, I guess, yeah, find the energy to keep going day in, day out when it can have those tougher moments? Yeah, it's a really good question. I often ask myself the same thing. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I think uh, when I say dirty work, you know, there are times that it's uh, literally dirty and that you're working with people who have, you know, spent a long time on the streets. Um, mm. There's a sort of physical element of it, particularly when I worked in youth justice, I can remember sharing vehicles with kids who'd been sleeping rough, um, you know, having to take them to get almost their shoes cut off their feet because they'd had them on for so long and there was sort of fungus in the feet and all this kind of element of the work that you sometimes don't think about and certainly didn't think about when you were training in your social work degree that you might end up doing that type of work. But those kinds of moments actually um, create an opportunity for, you know, a genuine human connection um, that's hard to really find in another field, I think, um, when you're the person working with a young person who's, uh, you know, not had fresh clothes for a while, uh, you're really maintaining a non-judgmental approach to that uh, and trying to work with them as they are. Uh, that's one element of it. I think the other element of dirty work is the idea that it's morally repugnant in some way. Uh, so there would be people that would argue that social workers really have no place uh, working in corrections or criminal justice mm. and that we really mm. should be um, in the fight for abolition of um, prisons and uh, a total reimagining of the justice system. And uh, I really think there's some merit in those thoughts and um, the longer I've worked in the field, it's been more than 20 years, I find myself uh, drawn more and more to that way of thinking, but at the same time recognising that every day and every moment there are people that actually need support right now. And so there's a, a level of pragmatism that draws me back to it over and over again where I think, well, 
you know, today there's somebody who needs housing. Um, today there's somebody who's in a family violence situation that needs support. Mm. And so it's a bit of both. And I guess, you know, I've, I've framed it over the years when I've worked in academic settings as a kind of critical pragmatism that we're maintaining in this work where we're thinking all the time about restructuring our society uh, in order to be more equitable and more accessible uh, and and more responsive to diversity and more inclusive of people, but at the same time working with what we've got today and what we can actually do in this moment. Yeah, I think that's a really great point that there's always this really fine balance of looking bigger picture and forward thinking and then really dealing yeah. with what immediately we have in front of us and making sure that people have um, what they need. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for today, which is a shame because I would love to pick both of your brains much further. Um, But thank you so much for joining us and celebrating World Social Work Day with us. Thank you so much. Thank thank you you for having us. Good to hear from you, Shelley. You too. That was Dr. Kaylin McDonoghue, Fulbright Future Scholar and Visiting Scholar at the University of Melbourne, and Dr. Shelley Turner, Chief Social Worker at Forensic Care and Senior Lecturer in Social Work. They were talking about their respective social work fields. You're listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Stay tuned for more interviews with social workers to celebrate World Social Workers Day. North Preston Life Saving Club is a new creative space, gallery and studios run for and by queer artists with disability. They're currently taking applications for studios and membership with priority given to disabled, queer and BIPOC communities. They'll be running workshops, holding community events and showcasing works by local and, and life-saving club artists. The North Preston Life Saving Club crew are seeking assistance in uh, getting up and running up and they need your help to get three-phase power to run equipment, including a kill. To find out more and to show your support for independent creatives, please visit their Facebook page, North Preston Life Saving Club. North Preston. Happening for me, the cycle's never ending. That's why now I befriend it. Watch you leave at nighttime. We'll come find you in the sunrise. Mornings matter to me. And even when it's miserable, thankful for the day to come. Oh. I got those who knew and loved me. 
Popularity is in my bedroom. Blessings greater than my problems. But my people, I don't want them. Mornings matter to Umbe. And even when it's miserable, thankful for the day to come. Oh. And even when it's miserable, tuned into Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM. We are bringing you a very special broadcast of all things social work as it is World Social Work Day today, 21st of March. Um, We have a very exciting guest on uh, the line now. Uh, They have a background in engineering, teaching and international development work and crisis management. Uh, Julie Green started a Master of Social Work uh, in February 2021 in the midst of a lockdown in Uganda where they were uh, living at the time. Julie is set to graduate at the end of this year. Um, They're on the line to speak to us about their experience studying social work, what motivates them and their plans for the future. Thank you so much for joining us, Julie. No problem. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Um, as I, I I believe you're graduating from social work this year, um, I wanted to ask just to start us off, what motivated you uh, to start this course? I believe that, yeah, you were in Uganda at the time when you decided. It's a, it's a really good question. Um, so it was right in the sort of like the midst of lockdown and that kind of thing. And um, I'd sort of been coming to the end, so I'd been t- I was over there teaching, and I was sort of coming to the end of um, sort of, you know, wanting to kind of continue with teaching and stuff. And I started thinking about, you know, things that I that wanted to do, and, and I'm passionate about advocacy and really sort of elevating voices, you know, and making a difference like that. And at the time, I was working on a – it was a volunteer – it was a global volunteer project, um, really mapping out human rights. Um, throughout the sort of, you know, the lockdowns and what was happening with the pandemic. And one of my colleagues was to talk about uh, doing a Master of Social Work. And I thought, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I started looking at it. And the more I sort of looked into it and the more I, you know, read about it, I thought, perfect. This is exactly what I want to do. Yeah, that sounds um, like a pretty... (laughs) Uh, inspiring way of changing career <laughs> courses. I mean, it looks like you have such a broad breadth of um, uh, studies under your belt already. So um, 
I kind of, I think when you get to that stage where you're like, yes, this is a lot of your previous work informs your decision to um, launch into something else. Um, I think it's obviously definitely the right decision, but um, just in in a more personal question, what have you enjoyed the most um, about uh, studying social work? Oh, it's a big, <laughs> it's a hard question in some ways because my my short answer is absolutely everything, um, but I think it's um, there's just it's just so there's just such a breadth. Like I don't think I also appreciated how kind of general or how broad social work as well is, and how much it just sort of spans everything. And it's it's not just across you know aged care, you know disability, mental health. Uh, children and young people but it's also along the different levels as well you know what I mean in terms of advocacy you know like we can play a part in terms of influencing you know social policy um, and that sort of thing as well we can really elevate issues of intersectionality um, you know what I mean make sure those voices that never get heard you know are heard and that sort of thing as well and it's it's that kind of you know that sort of diversity of there's just so much. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing because, you know, I will have been studying for two years, but I feel like I've still got so much to learn. And I think that's a really exciting aspect of social work as well. Yeah, kind of building on your knowledge. Um, Absolutely. Because, yeah, I, I mean, speaking to uh, Jen last week as well, who really emphasised this point of connection through work um, and how yeah. important that was for social work as well. Um, so... I guess, you know, launching into it at the end of this year, um, what are you looking forward to most about being uh, in the field, I guess? And um, you touched on this a little bit, obviously, uh, with your previous work, but what would you ideally like to be working in? What sort of uh, field would you like to be working in with social work? It's it's a great question. <laughs> it's think, actually the most dreaded question for anyone that's about to graduate. <laughs> what was funny? I was talking to a friend the other day, and I was I was explaining that I am a specialist in generalizing, <laughs> and I think um, you know it's kind of I've had this kind of very long sort of weaving path almost um, to get here, and um, and I think partly it's because I look like, I love everything. Like, I'm just so interested. I'm passionate about so many things. And so in some ways, it's quite difficult to know actually what I'm going to do. I think I have, I've had, we've done two placements. They were like 500 hours. And my first one was a a research-based placement. And my second one was more direct practice. Um, And it was working on a a child sexual abuse prevention helpline, um, Stop It Now Australia, which Jesuit Social Services launched just September last year. And every time I do something, I think, oh, wow, that's amazing. (laughs) You know, that's what I want to do. So in some ways, um, I'm not quite sure. It's going to be a bit of a sort of, you know, go with the flow. Um, but I think, and that's one of the other, you know, such an exciting part of social work is there's just so many different things. Um, and at the moment, there's so many um, jobs as well um, for social workers. So um, it'll be an exciting space, but I can't quite answer that question yet, I think is what I'll say, Genevieve. That is totally fine. <laughs> you can't answer that question. Um, obviously, um, today is World Social Workers Day. Um, and, you know, I know that we kind of fling out these international days and um, it's hard to, I guess, pu- pull it back on a personal level. But I guess more broadly, why do you think it is important to commemorate and celebrate social work? Um, I think, 
I mean, I think if, even if I just sort of reflect on my own experience before sort of going into this master, I didn't really have a good idea of what social work was all about and I didn't understand um, potentially how sort of influential at a sort of social, you know, human connection level um, social work can be. And I think too that um, historically perhaps social workers have had a bad rap um, I mean, even now I sort of, you know, you watch sort of TV shows or movies or whatever and a social worker sort of pops up and they're not always the best person in the room, if you know what I mean. And, of course, we've got a terrible history in terms of um, colonisation, you know, the stolen generation, you know, the sort of the role of the social worker in taking the um, Aboriginal children away from their families and that sort of thing as well. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's also really important to um, to almost kind of... I mean, partly so that, you know, people can really understand, you know, what social work's all about and that kind of thing, but also perhaps to set aside, you know, some of, you know, the maybe the bad decisions. I mean, it's the same with the development sector, you know, um, in terms of, you know, they thought they were doing the right thing, the sort of white saviour, you know, a lot of that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's also an important thing to bring to light. Yeah, I think that's a really valuable point to uh, bring up and, you know, especially this kind of, uh, stereotype that social work has now, um, especially with it being, you know, I think a lot of people think of it as like, it's too difficult. You're dealing with people, the systems against you. And obviously what you brought up with colonization as well. Um, and this kind of, yeah, humanitarian, um, idea of humanitarian, well, yeah, humanitarian work that, um, is being obviously reworked and talked about today, which I think is really important. I think that leads us on to, um, you know, I guess a closing remark and, um, for for anyone listening right now, you know, who might have those kind of, uh, generalizations, um, about social work or are thinking about going into social work and, um, want, I guess, <laughs> some inspiring words or not to put any pressure <laughs> on you. <laughs> um, but do you have any words of, uh, I guess, advice for anyone listening that, yeah, might be thinking about going into social work? I mean, I would say, you know, do it. Like, I think it's absolutely amazing. I think for me, um, I think it's been really valuable having had a lot of sort of other different types of career experience. I feel like in a way, social work is one of those... Um, one of those kind of careers or pathways where you almost need lived experience. You need some kind of, you know, kind of built up wisdom and and sort of to have seen the world a bit. And I think, you know, that that's really helped me. So I'd also be really encouraging to people sort of later in, in their life career like I am, <laughs> um, not to, you know, not to think, oh, you know, it's, you know, too hard or perhaps, you know, I'm not the right person for it. Um, and I think, you know, if you have a passion for, um, really making sure people's voices are heard and, and, and really, you know, around equity, then I think, you know, social work's absolutely um, the thing for you. And, I, you know, I think it's, it's one of the things, and, I, you know, I mentioned about intersectionality, it doesn't get thought about enough, you know what I mean, like in terms of so much of, of what happens, the policies, you know, our legislation, everything. I think it's, you know, it's something that really needs to be looked at much more. Um, and social work's a wonderful way to do that as well. So... I'd say go for it. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <might>. That's <laughs> that's a brilliant message to leave on. And unfortunately, we have run out of time, Julie. No but worries. thank you so much for joining thank you, us. Thank and you. best of luck with this year um, for you. And yeah, it's been great having you on Tuesday Breakfast. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Thank you, you too. Thanks. That was Julie Green, um, who is starting, or sorry, is 
nearly finished uh, their Master of Social Work um, and speaking to us about uh, why they decided to study social work and what motivates uh, social workers to do their work and also speaking to anyone that perhaps is thinking about doing social work themselves. Uh, We've got one more uh, conversation coming up with um, a social worker for World Social Work Day, of course, which is today. Uh, but we'll be right back after this announcement. Would you like to reduce your risk of dementia? The Better Brains trial aims to discover whether targeted lifestyle changes can prevent memory decline in Australian adults. Participants aged 40 to 70 with a family history of dementia are allocated to receive health coaching from an allied health professional or health education materials about dementia and its risk factors. The trial is run entirely online, so visit www.betterbrains.org.au to sign up now. Better Brains is a 3CR supporter. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean to bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao and cacao mass in bulk. A zero waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Three CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings, cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. You're tuned in to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, uh, 8.55am. Of course, it is World Social Work Day today, and we just have one more conversation um, uh, before we wrap up. But uh, on the line, we have uh, Professor Louise Harms, who is an Associate Professor, Chair and Head of Social Work at the University of Melbourne. Uh, Lou has worked in hospitals and the Uni Counselling Service uh, in the 1990s before becoming an academic uh, in 2000. Uh, Lou has loved the teaching, research and leadership jobs 
uh, held since then and her particular interests are uh, in the areas of trauma and resilience in health contexts and post-disasters. Uh, she is the author of many books in social work and joins us today to talk all things social work and what it means to be a social worker and particular, particularly what the future of social work uh, perhaps is going to look like. Thank you so much for joining us, Louise. Thanks so much for having me. Such a pleasure. Um, very excited to have this conversation. Obviously, first of all, happy World Social Work Day. Um, probably a good place to start. You know, what does the day uh, mean to you? Happy World Social Work Day to you too and to all the listeners. I think it's a really important annual moment to pause and celebrate the uh, focus of social work, the cause of social work, and all the fantastic people that engage in it day in, day out. Um, we're a pretty quiet profession in terms of talking up what we do, and not that the day is necessarily to do that, but it's to talk out what we do, um, to address some of the burnout, I think, that this, as speakers have spoken about this morning, um, and to say this is a tough job, but at the same time, it's a really rewarding job, and it and it really is around that social transformation and inclusion that today's theme is all about. Yeah, for sure. That's a good segue onto discussing the theme. And it is something that, you know, a lot of the people we've been speaking to have been echoing through their work and, you know, what's important uh, to bring to the work. Um, the theme is uh, respecting diversity through joint social action. Uh, do you want to speak a little bit about, you know, yeah, what does this mean and why is it so important to bring to social work? Mm -hmm. I think that idea of working together and working across systems is so important. So while diversity can divide, I think it's actually celebrating what the common elements are of our humanity and then what the differences are that add to that humanity um, and then how understanding all of those different voices can lead to different social work practice and different practice in a whole range of other other contexts. So I think social work as a profession has been a very white, middle-class profession, very female-dominated. How do we bring all the other voices into social work to understand human issues um, differently and more broadly? That's just one example of, of the challenge and the opportunity, I think, that we have. Yeah, for sure, and it um, definitely mirrors uh, what Julie was saying before about, you know, it's one of the – I mean, I think it's – Every profession should have this, but it's one of the professions that's really important to, you know, bring the experiences you've had, um, yeah. yeah, and your lived experience. Yeah, and I think that's one of the areas where there has been much more recognition of the strengths of doing that. So um, in comparison, people have probably sat on their own personal experiences, closeted those, you know, whether it's LGBTIQ, um, whether it's disability, uh, a whole range of issues, whereas actually social work education, social work practice is starting to uh, recognise that that's got to be front and centre in what we do um, in order to understand other people's experiences. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to focus in a little bit on your work, you know, especially around teaching and researching. Um, mm. What do you think, you know, year after year pulls uh, students towards social work? 
I think Julie spoke to it. Yeah. I think Maddie spoke to it. Uh, I think it's that commitment to social change, to making a difference, and the recognition that one person can do that or communities can do that. So uh, our average age in our course, for example, is 29. So yeah. we've got people much older than that who are career-changing and really recognising that working with people and working with the systems that ideally support but don't always um, is is really transformative in people's lives. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and, you know, here at 3CR, obviously we try to surround everything through community and um, yeah. we obviously speak to social workers a lot because of yeah. their involvement with the community and their close relations with it. Um, you know, I guess theoretically, yeah, if you were to take social work out of the community, there's no community <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is, I mean, could you, uh, I guess, um, lead on from, you know, what, what, I mean, it's such a generic question and you've kind yes. of already answered it, but um, why is social work so intrinsic for any functioning community? Yeah. I, I mean, since I answer it through my own journey, I mm. was going to do psychology initially mm. and there was this constant frustration that it didn't quite fit and that there's an excellent path for psychologists. Um, it, that just wasn't my personal path because it didn't talk about people in context and the capacity for all our relationships um, to, to be that whole um, layer of resilience, strength, whatever we want to call it, that there's something more that, that helps with individual issues. Um, but the community strength, when it's there, is, is transformative and magic to use a, use a yeah. not-so-social work term. But um, certainly the, the transformation and the resources that it just brings people, you know, emotional resources, financial resources, all of those strengths of community. Um, I've followed up a bit of that in terms of a 10-year study that I've done with colleagues after the Black Saturday fires, mm. and it was really around community resilience, that people's mental health is so connected with the communities in which they're, they're living. And so we've got, got to keep that lens at the level of community. Yeah, and that, those are the stories, you know, that touch people the most is this, mm. yeah, collaboration, um, this coming together of a community through mm. either crisis or, um, mm. yeah, and we see that so often and, you know, yeah, social work is really at the core of a lot of those movements. Um, mm. Now, a lot of your research kind of centres around, I, I was just looking at your work um, before this uh, conversation and, um, you know, yeah. a lot of it's about this post-pandemic this move from post-pandemic, you know, this uh, foreseeing how social work is going to change um, for uh, the future and how it must adapt. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what do you foresee the future of social work looking like, particularly coming out? I mean, it's not such a recent pandemic, but we're still kind of seeing the um, mm. impact of that. Absolutely. Oh, look, I'm, and I'm talking at the Alfred Hospital today and mm. being over here now that the pandemic's very alive. Um, yeah. We've had a 20% increase in our numbers just over this last week and 20% increase in hospitalisation. So, but I think what the pandemic has done, for, well, if I focus on social work education, it's thrown us into the whole new opportunity of online learning and engaging in really different ways. So I think for social work practice, that's the same too, to look at how do we engage 
with community, uh, with families, with individuals through a whole range of different interventions. It doesn't have to be face-to-face. Um, there's the whole capacity for peer um, involvement and engagement in new ways. So I think for social work education, there's a technology shake-up and boost. Mm-hmm. I think for placements too, we're going to really look at how we can reduce the student poverty that's caused by placements at the moment. Julie mentioned the two lots of 500-hour placements. Yeah. But how do we rethink learning you know, in, in community, in organisations, um, so that we're, we're creating great learning opportunities for students, um, but at the same time not placing some of the financial pressures on them to do that. So placements and technology are just two of the key key areas. Yeah, and I do like um, what you brought up, you know, with bringing in more collaboration with peers and, um, mm. Mm. yeah, I feel like that's that's a really great idea. I mean, it seems to the way that social work adapted even throughout lockdowns um, and still continued to support community even though the community was, I guess, fragmented um, mm. Uh, mm. was it's pretty incredible. Um, I guess mm. we are mm. running out of time, but just as, as a closing remark, you know, um, what message would you like to give um, social workers that might be listening now, uh, you know, on World Social Work Day? I would say to all social workers listening, have a have a both a quiet and a loud celebration, yeah. <laughs> a quiet affirmation of yourself and all the work that you get up and do every day, you know, whether that's really, really local work, whether it's global work, and celebrate that. And I think just uh, call out to each of our colleagues, uh, wherever you are, to, to thank them, to acknowledge them, to celebrate the work that they do. We're, we're pretty good at critiquing things as, and ourselves included and I think just to turn that around and say uh, let's make today a day of celebration. Yeah that's such a beautiful remark to uh, end on and such a special you know tribute to all the social workers because they definitely deserve to um, give themselves a big pat on the back and a, probably a big uh, bath and glass of wine <laughs> if it was me we call that yeah <laughs> um well thank you so much for joining us louise it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning thanks very much and thanks for celebrating world social work day for us all of course such a special day to commemorate uh that was professor louise harms who is an associate professor chair and head of social work at the university of melbourne speaking words of wisdom about uh the future of social work and giving such a beautiful tribute to all social workers that might be listening to us uh right now um we'll be back just after this quick announcement uh to wrap up the show stay tuned in to 3cr community radio Have you had your fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose? The Murdoch Children's Research Institute at the Royal Children's Hospital are recruiting participants aged 18 years or older to receive a randomized fourth COVID-19 vaccine dose, either Moderna bivalent or Novavax vaccine, or be part of a control group and receive no additional vaccine. You will be compensated for your time and transport and will receive your antibody test results. For more information, contact covid.booster at mcri.edu.au. The Murdoch Children's Research Institute is a 3CR supporter.
today is World Social Work Day, so to celebrate that, well, we've had the theme run through the show. Fung spoke to Madeline McKenzie, an accredited mental health social worker who runs her own counselling business. Um, and I spoke with Dr. Kayla McDonoghue and Dr. Shelley Turner, both academics in their respective social work fields. Today is also International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. So to recognise this, Fung spoke with Hannah Yared, psychologist, PhD candidate and lecturer whose research examines issues related to race and racism in the fields of education and psychology. Uh, and we also spoke to Julie Green, who is uh, doing... Uh, a Master of Social Work at Melbourne Uni um, about social work more generally and how uh, their studies are going at the moment. And then to round up, we spoke to Professor Louise Harms, who is the Chair and Head of Social Work at Uni Melb, um, about social work, the future of social work, uh, and also to send a message to all the social workers listening to kick your feet up and, uh, yeah, give yourself um, some I guess something that makes you happy because all the work you do is absolutely incredible. I mean, uh, speaking to everyone this morning, um, it's been very inspiring to hear so many stories of, um, love for social work and, um, you know, also, uh, how difficult it can be at times, but, um, how beautiful it is for the community. We have to get out of here, um, but as always, we will be podcasting the show later today and we have Accent of Women coming up next. Uh, happy World Social Work Day. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.